0: This morning we look to, we'll start in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and then at the back end of our time we'll be uh, looking at in somewhat of a survey Acts chapter 2, look at Acts chapter 2. Uh, I wanted to read 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verses 10 to 12 and then we'll look at Acts chapter 2 after we discuss uh, and learn about the gifts of distinguishing spirits. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10, to another, the effecting of miracles and to another prophecy and to another, the distinguishing of spirits, to another, various kinds of tongues and to another, the interpretation of tongues. Verse 11, but one and the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually, just as he wills. For even as the body is one and yet has many members and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body. So also is Christ. May God bless the reading of his word. Last time we were together, we looked at Paul's explanation concerning the gift of prophecy and started to look ahead to the gift of languages. Uh, today, we'll spend more of our time looking at the gift of distinguishing spirits and the gift of languages. Uh, But we look to Paul's teaching concerning the spiritual gifts, uh, especially here, because, again, as we said before, he wanted us to know and determine how the gifts were used. He wanted us to be aware that those gifts have a function to edify in the church, but also he wanted us to recognize the source of our gifts uh, that are given to us. And so Paul the Apostle, he starts to explain and distinguish the various gifts that are mentioned. We talked about, uh, namely, the gifts of uh, the word of knowledge, uh, the word of wisdom, uh, also the gift of faith, the gift of healing, the effecting of miracles, uh, prophecy, and then the distinguishing of spirits. Now, all the gifts are not necessarily mentioned here Because as you look at the New Testament, there are more gifts that uh, are disclosed by the Holy Spirit through the human authors that he chose. Uh, So there are certainly gifts that I would commend to you uh, to study. But here, the ones that are mentioned, he is specifically uh, disclosing to the Corinthians that these are the ones that uh, should be operative in the life of the Corinthian church. And also that those were some of the ones that were perverted. Uh, within the life of the church at Corinth. So as we said before, the one liberty we do not have is to pretend that the gifts are what they are when they're not operating in the way that the Bible says that they have operated. And I believe that that drives our understanding as to which gifts continued and which gifts have for this time in the church age have ceased. To say that the gifts have ceased does not mean that some of the gifts that we mentioned will not return At a time uh, from a vantage point later than our own, but also to say that the gifts have continued. One has to be very careful, because if you're saying that the gifts continued, you are you are bound to say that those gifts have continued the same way that they were practiced in the past. That's not in some way limiting God. That's not confining God. But the gifts themselves do not change in the way that they operate they do affect different and varieties of effects, as Paul mentions, upon those who receive the gift. So those are very important guidelines as we look at the gifts. But then we come to the gift of distinguishing spirits. And Paul mentions this. I believe that there are other places in especially Corinthians where he'll mention this at a time later from our own chapter that we're looking at this morning. Uh, but. I want you to be aware what this gift is because Paul wanted us to be aware what this gift is. And so when we come to distinguishing of spirits, it is that the believer must be able to use discernment, must be able to use discernment. This is a gift that is given. And now you might be thinking, well, shouldn't all Christians have discernment? That is absolutely correct. However, not all have the same level of discernment. Because with this gift, it takes sharpening. One has to practice the gift in order for the gift to continue to increase in its efficacy or its effectiveness. So all are commanded to have a level of discernment. One has to be able to practice this. And I believe that this gift is tied to many areas uh, related to the life of the church, but also Many areas related to the gifts themselves, and so the gift of discernment was a distinguishing feature, or I'm sorry, the gift of distinguishing spirits was a distinguishing feature, uh, and it was commanded by Paul to practice at a high level. Turn with me very quickly to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 15. I believe that when we discuss the gifts, there are places where we see them operate, and I want to make you aware of those places. So we look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10. I want you to see it in practice. And then if you see, uh, he first speaks, let's start in verse 3 of chapter 10. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. So I believe that Paul is examining not only the need for this gift implicitly, but also he's dealing with the reach of this gift. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying. Here it is. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And we are ready to punish all disobedience whenever your obedience is complete. And so we'll look at the context as to why that's said. But when you understand this gift, this gift is for the purpose of making some uh, distinguishing points related to what's in front of you. You practice this gift by faith. That's the most important thing. But it is a high level that one is practicing this. And I'll tell you why that is. This gift, distinguishing spirits, you see, it doesn't say distinguishing persons. Or necessarily ideologies. I think when Paul begins to mention it later on in 2 Corinthians, he's dealing with the effect of this gift. But I believe as you look to this, it is to distinguish spirits. To distinguish spirits. That is the ability to recognize what is behind the speaker, the prophet, the preacher, the person, the entity or entities. Who in this case are claiming to represent God. There it is. So to practice the gift of distinguishing spirits. You are measuring who is behind the speaker. Who is behind the one who is prophesying. Who is behind the one who is preaching. And here you have to use this gift at a high level. Because of the claims that are made. So this gift would not be of much use. If someone comes and says I'm speaking to you from Satan." This gift is needed and necessary because everyone in the church on some level is claiming to speak for God. And so this gift is to measure if the spirit behind the speaker is truly one from God or if it is from the adversary. I believe elsewhere, Paul almost attaches some things for us to recognize related to this gift, because... He talks about Satan as a masquerading angel of light in the context of the church and how he sends in his agents into the church to essentially disguise themselves as ministers of righteousness. So they look like true preachers. They act like true preachers. They look like believers. They look like they're righteous. They may act like for a time they're righteous. They may at times say righteous things, but for those who possess this gift, they can see behind that. They can see right through that. And they see that it's not simply about making the claims. It's about being able to back up the claim that one is making. And I say that as it relates to the life. I say that as it relates to the life connected to the doctrine. And so I believe that This gift is the ability to distinguish that which is behind what's said. That which is behind what's practiced. It is to see the spirit behind what is even done. It's not simply to look at things on a superficial or surface level. It's not simply to welcome everybody with warm embrace who calls you brother or sister. It's not simply to welcome everyone who says the name of Jesus just because they said the name of Jesus. It is to with great skill given to you as a gift by the Holy Spirit to look at what is behind what is said and what is done. I do believe that although this gift is operative in the life of the church, I believe that it's range in where it's operative has certainly limited, not in its power, but limited in its focus. I'll explain what I mean. I believe this gift was directly, especially in our context, tied to prophecy, tied to the gift of languages, tied to the interpretation of languages, tied to the gifts of healing. Well, as those gifts have given way to something related to the close of the actual canon of scripture, I believe that what you're looking at now is that the gift is certainly practice, but it is in the realm of ideologies. It is applied in the realm of preaching. It is applied in the realm of practice and teaching. So all are, again, commanded to have a level of discernment. I'm not saying that there are Christians who should walk around and not have discernment because they don't possess the gift. What I'm saying is, is that those who have this gift, it has been sharpened and they can see well beyond what is being presented. They can see through at times what is being presented and at times they can affirm what is being presented because they possess that gift or they will deny what is being affirmed based on the one who is affirming. You have to be careful in the use of this gift because right is presented as often right and wrong is presented as wrong. But the person who brings it has an ulterior motive. You have to be very careful. This gift is dealing in the realm of spirits, It's dealing with people who are saying things And they are uh, moved along by the spirit. Sometimes, and I don't use the spirit as a capital T, but I'm saying they're moved along by either the spirit of the Antichrist or they're moved along by the spirit of Christ. It's up to you to begin to measure what is being said and to test not only what is being said, but to see the spirit behind what is said. Well, how in the world do you do that? Well, I say that this gift has been limited in its focus, not its power, because we have the word of God. You now have that thing that we all have to measure. Well, then wouldn't it mean that all possess this gift at this level? No, because not all sharpen, not all utilize this. There are so many who have possession of the Bible today and they don't have the means to distinguish anything. And that is a self-inflicted condition. But I'm referring to those who actually use the gift that God has given in this area. And they are able to distinguish the spirit behind practice. The spirit behind proclamation. Not simply the proclamation and the practice. So many are already doing that today. But we have to look beyond that and see the spirit behind it. You'll see later that the New Testament apostles, they call for that. They actually speak that way. Paul, the apostle himself, he speaks that way, not only here, but in other places. He wants the church at large to begin to look at, is this God's spirit or is this the spirit of Antichrist? You see, the very first thing that he says uh, in this context, look at what he says in verse three. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the spirit of God says Jesus is accursed and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. I believe that there's a finer line that we cross related to the distinguishing of spirits that you have some who are saying that they believe in Jesus, that they represent him, that they speak for him, but they don't live as though they're in agreement with what he has set forward as a standard. And if Satan can do damage, not only in the proclamation, but if he can do damage by delegitimizing the proclamation of what is said, then he'll do damage along those lines as well. By that, I mean someone can say, yeah, I believe in Christ, I represent him, I preach for him, and yet everything they do is counter to Christ. People will follow the individual. They'll follow the spirit behind the individual and truly never be led to the living Christ of scripture. So this gift is certainly something that is needed. It's something that is practiced. I'm not simply making an argument for it on its own basis. I believe that As we've read in other places that Paul calls uh, for this. But I don't believe that this gift is an over infatuation with secular things. Because the infiltration is not in the secular realm. The secular realm already belongs to the evil one in the sense that the whole world lies in his lap. That he is the prince of the power of the air. So yes, is there a time and place and a concern that we must have for the things of the world As they operate, in terms of calling them out and calling people to repentance, absolutely. But judgment begins with the house of God. And so the things that we see, the things that we view, the things that we come to terms with, our concern has to be largely with the church. I believe that there is enough out here just from a moral direction to be able to look at the world before us and say it's certainly been and will be destroyed. That society at large is decay. We can see that. But I believe that when we begin to assess the church, we also have to hold the church to a higher standard than society, not to a lower standard. And to do that, you need the gifts that are able to distinguish. You need one who possesses this gift or those who possess this gift to be able to make some distinctions. So I believe that here you have there are many who can tell us what is wrong. Many can do that. And that's a good thing. It's good for people to tell us what's wrong. There are many who can even tell us what's right. And I believe that's a good thing. But how many in the name of religion and in the name of Christianity at times will lay down and roll over because they're told something is right? Or they'll lay down and roll over because somebody told them that this has God's stamp of approval. So then here it was not necessary, as Paul calls the Corinthians to something, it's not necessary for them to simply receive what was said and practice. In this case, even written by Paul as a human author to them, but for them to determine the spirit behind what he said. That was the task. That's why he loved the Bereans like he did. Because they were going to test and measure to make sure that the Paul apostle was in step with the scrolls. They didn't glaze over because Paul had X amount of years in ministry. They didn't glaze over because Paul the apostle had seen the risen Christ. They didn't roll over because he had an apostle in front of his name. They said, we're going to test them. We're going to make sure what he's saying lines up with what God has decreed. Paul not only gave them himself, he gave them his life. He wanted to be tested. He didn't want to be nitpicked. He didn't want them to hold him to some superficial standard outside of Scripture. He didn't want to be captive to their preferences. Outward appearance. He wanted them to test the substance Of not only what he said, but who he was. And it was along those lines he called for them to love him. To love him. Because he loved Christ. I would say that as you look at this. Those who are not spiritual hate this gift. Those who are not spiritual hate this gift. They hate the ability of those who possess this gift to distinguish the spirit behind what they're saying. It's the the popular phrase, the emperor has no clothes. They hate to be found out. They hate for you to recognize that who they are is not substantiated by what they're saying. They hate that and they hate you for it. They hate those who possess this gift because they, quite frankly, belong to. Saint, it is a gift that the Spirit had given to determine who truly spoke for God and who was pretending. Listen to that very careful. Who was pretending to speak for God? Jesus talks about it in John 10. When he talks about hierarchies. and he talks about himself as the true shepherd. It was a gift that determined what truly was a spiritual practice that brought honor to God and what was, listen to this, a fleshly practice that mirrored some of the spiritual practices, mirrored the spiritual practices, but upon deeper inspection were counterfeit. I believe for those many movements and men who abuse the very things we are learning, that is the spiritual gifts. They put forward the same challenges Paul faced when writing to the Corinthians. Not all had this gift. Not all had this gift at this level. There is certainly a discernment commanded by all, but a higher level of discernment that is granted to those who possess the gift. Not all had the gift, but it was up to them to embrace those who had the gift. I believe that at minimum we can see that Chloe's people possess this gift on some level. I believe on some level they possess the gift. If you think it a simple thing to not only go against the tide, but to put their finger on the problem, so to speak, to take it to Paul so that Paul can deal with it, to not give themselves to the factions that had the names of the individuals who were faithful to Christ. And practices that were actually in that society very religious. I'm not saying that they were right. I'm saying they were very religious. For when they came to Paul, what troubled them was not simply uh, it was not simply this uh some vague reference. It wasn't simply some idea that, well, what's bothering us is the church isn't unified. No, what bothered them is that you had counterfeit religion and counterfeit factions established upon things that were supposed to be true. And they were so woven and braided together that Paul spends the entire uh, epistle to the Corinthians trying to take out the knot, so to speak. And so here I believe that Paul not only commands this gift. To be in practice, it was certainly wedded at that time to the other gifts because I believe it was the ability to distinguish those gifts in practice. But I believe it supersedes those particular gifts in that it is to distinguish all the practices that say they are tied to the living God. So as we look at that gift, it's important to recognize why it's important. We come to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Various kinds of tongues and interpretation of tongues. We have uh, we have explored this. I want to do this in kind of a survey because we have explored this together and we, we did it a long time ago in a Bible study. Uh, we were looking together at Acts 2 and I, I want to just I want to remind you of a couple of things. But I also want to draw our thoughts to the proper understanding of the gifts of languages and the interpretation of languages. And the reason I'm calling them languages is, you know, I believe that tongues as it has been translated is certainly one translation for it, but translations have meanings. So the word in all cases in which it's translated still means a known spoken dialect. Recognized dialect, known dialect, spoken with syntax, sentence, punctuation if necessary, understood in conversational tone. So it's never the case where there's some secretive languages or some uh, some babbling languages. Uh, that is not what's happening here. But I will say that if you look at this particular gift, you see where it's not only the gift of languages, but it is the gift of interpretation. They're both tied together. So one has to be able to Practice the gifts and then to another one has to be able to uh, interpret uh, the gift of uh, uh, to interpret the, the gift of tongues as they were given. But to give you a historical context, look with me at Acts chapter two. We'll look briefly at this chapter. As I was studying this, you know, I believe that what Paul is doing here is to the Corinthians he's giving them what I like to call historical precedent. He's telling them, I'm explaining this gift to you, but you have to recognize everything that has happened before in reminding you how this gift was practiced. And then he explains just in simple form, you have the gift and then interpretation. But I believe as you look to Acts chapter two, I believe he's pointing back to that moment because that is the inception of the New Covenant Church. And he's telling them this is how you practice the gift. My point is nowhere throughout the history of the church has there been another decree document or proclamation different than the one that Paul has set forward uh, and different than the one that Luke wrote by his hand. And different from the divine author, the Holy Spirit. The gift of languages were always meant to be practiced in the way that we find them in Acts chapter two. That's how the gifts of languages function. It's vital to understand because you do have many movements that would certainly disagree. You have the charismatic movement. I was once a part of that. I think you all know that. But there's so much error In that movement, because they tie Pentecost to some historical event in the last 120 years. Instead of looking at Pentecost for what it really is, that is a festival related to the Old Testament. So that's the first major error. So you have this event that takes place the day of Pentecost. It's not the establishment of the Pentecostal movement. The day of Pentecost was a feast. Whereby the Jews were gathered together. It was a harvest festival. It is found in Leviticus chapter 23 verse 16. And Deuteronomy chapter 16 verse 9. It was a harvest festival that was celebrated seven weeks after the beginning of the harvest. In Deuteronomy chapter 16 verse 9. Or seven weeks after the Sabbath. In Leviticus chapter 23 verse 16. So let me remove the stigma From the word Pentecost. Because that really is simply the feast. A harvest festival. uh, That took place during that time. In Deuteronomy if you look there. It was celebrated as a time of memorial. Recognition. A consecration and offering to the Lord. For this purpose. The deliverance of the Jews. That's what the day of Pentecost was. That's what it is. The Jews were to bring All those who were in their households. So, everyone who was numbered in their household, they were to bring them up to Jerusalem. For reference, you can look at Luke chapter 5, verses 33 to 39. So, then, what perfect time would there be for the Lord to establish an open proclamation to the Jews and to the other nations? As they descend upon Jerusalem and then to demonstrate the proclamation of all the things concerning his son. Through the gift of languages. To the many nations there, what perfect time would there be? They're all coming to Jerusalem and they're all coming there for the feast and for this festival. And this is the time that the Lord has chosen to disclose what he does to them. So since the new covenant had been initiated, it was time for what Jesus had declared to take place. It was time for the new wine, so to speak, to be uh, to be poured in the new wine skins. That is the old the old covenant wine skins of the Mosaic covenant could not be contained in the new. Jesus speaks about that. As he declares what he does in Luke's gospel. But it's also why I believe that what is taking place, Satan is always attacking. It's why I believe the language of this new wine, the language of the fact that God is going to pour out his spirit in the new covenant to the people who were once in the old. You ever thought about why they are accused of being drunk with wine? Everything is under attack. But that was not the case. They were not drunk with wine. Wine is a reference to what the Lord may do, especially in a nation that was used to the wine press and used to making their own wine. He was simply giving them an example. But if you look at Acts chapter two, I'll let you look at it and kind of read it here. But if you look at Acts chapter two, verse two, if first of all, the spirit, the spirit is. The one responsible for this. Look at this. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. The it is not is not referencing the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is God. It's talking about the noise, the noise filled the whole house where they were sitting and there appeared to them tongues as a fire distributing themselves the people were not babbling and then receiving languages the people were not crying and emotionally stirred and then somehow boom now i can speak gibberish that's not what was happening what was happening is that they were sitting in this home and the noise came in and then the gifts came in with the noise but what you see is this organized distribution of languages distributing themselves but we know who is the unseen hand behind the distribution. We know that because of the result. But look at this verse 3 and they appeared to them tongues as of fire distributing themselves and they rested on each one of them. Listen to this. This was visible. This was visible and it was also practical. You could see it in practice. And verse four, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the spirit was giving them utterance. Now, when you look at this, you have speakers involved, those who are speaking this is all tied to the Old Testament. If you look at Isaiah chapter 28, verse 11, you have a prophecy that's being fulfilled that by strange languages or tongues. The proclamation of what God has declared for his people would be given to his people. The first thing I want you to recognize about this gift, it's a sign gift for unbelievers primarily. But they're speakers look at Acts Chapter uh, 2, verse 5. Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, so they heard the sound, the crowd came together and were bewildered. They were not bewildered because everybody was speaking in gibberish. They were not bewildered because they didn't know what was happening. Look at this. They were bewildered. There's a sense of wonderment, astonishment, because verse six, each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. What Paul says in Corinthians, there's no language without meaning. There's no such thing as some decodable language that has, in a sense, uh, such an elevated use that no one understands what's being said. That's not language. Language has for it grammar. Structure, logical format, responses, commands, questions, conditional statements. All those things are in language. But look at this. They were hearing them speak in his own language. So the speakers you had Galilean Jews were the speakers. okay the languages and hearers were from the nations represented below in our text. Look at this. They were amazed and astonished. Now, they didn't say, wow, all these people are speaking gibberish. They didn't say that. What they said is, why are not all these who are speaking Galileans? The issue is they're all speaking languages they did not speak before. Known languages that they did not possess before they began speaking in this manner. And look at this. There was a logical sense. There was no private sitting in a corner muttering to yourself. This wasn't a prayer language, quote unquote. But look at what is said. And how is it that we each hear them in our own language? To which we were born. I mean, this is almost like Luke, by the Holy Spirit, is just softly placing this in front of us and saying, just 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 read the text. Just read the sentence. I remember having discussions about this with some folks who were charismatic, some in my family. And I just remember the, the, the look look on their faces when you just say tongues were known languages and people get so aggravated with that statement but it literally says it here it says that the people were hearing them like i'm quoting what they're saying as they heard look at verse eight and how is it that we each hear them the speakers in our own language to which we were born no gibberish no private angelic decodable languages Just here are the languages that were spoken. Are you ready? I can give them to you, because they're right here in the text. Verse nine, Parthenians, and Medes, and Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the districts of Libya around Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, Italian, dialects, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, the island of Crete and the Arabic nations. We hear them. Look at this. We hear them in our own tongues, in our own languages, speaking of the mighty deeds of God, Galilean Jews speaking all these dialects from the regions that are represented. The nations are mentioned and the languages, glossa in the Greek, by definition, speaks of a language or nation of people who are distinguished by their language. So you would say, oh, you're from America. You speak English primarily. You're from other nations. So you speak these languages primarily. It is to identify the nations. Based on their dialect. And the people are looking in bewilderment. Because they're going. They're not from our nation. How are they speaking our nation? But I want to be honest with you here in this. As I always endeavor to be. It's not simply the recognition of languages. There are two things that follow. The interpretation of the things that are said. And not only the interpretation of what is said. But the call. The need for a response to what has been declared. So the gift is practiced in line with those things. It's not simply to speak different languages to people in conversation. There's a content. There, There are things that are said that need to be said. So you have 120 believers receive the supernatural, miraculous gift Of speaking actual languages. They could not speak prior to their day of Pentecost where they gathered together. And the Holy Spirit distributed these languages to his disciples. To Jesus' disciples. What was the actual content of their message? Look at verse 11. This is what what tongue speaking is. It has for its self-content. It's not just gibberish. It's not declarations of temporal things. Look at what it says. We hear them in our own languages. Well, what are they saying? What needs to be interpreted? Speaking of the mighty deeds of God. That is the content of languages. That's the content of the gift. And they all continued in amazement and great perplexing, saying to one another, What does this mean? That's why Paul says... We need to interpret the gift. We can't just speak and hope people figure out what we're saying. We have to interpret what is said, even though it's coming to you in its language. There must be an expository element to this. It must be explained. But others were mocking and saying they are full of sweet wine. I believe that's tied to what the Lord promised in the prophecy. You also have features that I would commend you for further study uh, related to Joel and the prophecy there. But I do want to, as we close, look at a few things. The nature of the gift of languages, it was to deal with God's saving work among his people. And also it was to call the Jews to repent at that time. For their transgressions against God in light of the crucifixion, but also to come to that same cross whereby they were responsible for placing Christ for mercy. We're not going to look at this today, but if you look at uh, Acts chapter 2, verses 17 to 21, that gives you the content of the prophecy that's fulfilled in this account. If you look at all that is said up to verse 40, I believe 40 or 41. If you look at all the way from Peter's sermon in verse 14 to verse 41, that is the gift of interpretation at work. Peter is summarizing all the things that were said and all the dialects spoken and saying, here are the mighty deeds of God. I'm interpreting them for all of you. And it comes out in the form of a servant. It is the gift of interpretation at work. I believe that's why Paul says what he says, the need for the gift of languages to be spoken in that context. We're also married or joined together with the need for interpretation. But again, I remind you, as we look to this, I remind you, not everyone possessed a gift, not everyone here possessed a gift. What we'll find later is that the gifts, the gifts were necessary and they were necessary because they had uh, the sense in which they built up those who heard. If those who hear cannot understand the language, Paul is going to mention this later, then it is of no benefit for them to hear you speaking it, or for you to speak it. Why? Because the goal for any gift is not to build up yourself. The people didn't respond and say, oh, yeah. We know a whole bunch of languages. We're superior. The people stood back and let the gift of interpretation have its way. And that is the mighty deeds of God. And all of this was coherent. All of it was coherent. I believe that the gifts have as people say that the gifts have ceased a term that certainly aggravates some. But I believe that the gift cease in the sense that it has given way to what we see interpreted. It has given way to the sermon that's preached. The gift of interpretation is and was married to the gift of languages, but now we have the full, fully disclosed word of God. And so I also believe that This gift was tied to the need for the mystery of godliness to be fully revealed throughout the early New Testament age. We have that now. We have that with the word of God. The gift of languages, as we'll look to later, they were vital to the life of the church. But the use of the gift needed to be accompanied by the gift of interpretation. If they were not accompanied by the gift of interpretation, Paul already says this, then they were unsanctioned. They were not to be used. The gift also had to be under the scrutiny and sanction of New Testament prophets and the apostles. They had to be present and witness the gift of interpretation. Well, why? Because it ties so closely to prophecy. The language that was spoken keyed into what the Lord wanted to uh, declare before his people. And so the gift had to be interpreted. The gift was not practiced with disorderliness or mindless euphoria. There was no disorderliness or mindless euphoria. People not falling all over the place and falling out and gibberish. Paul cautioned the Corinthians to honor the Lord with the full faculty of their minds. Chapter 14, verse 14. Of first Corinthians. I can tell you that Satan's men, hirelings, usurpers, they always want you to empty your mind. They always want you to close your Bible, empty your minds and let your emotions do all the thinking for you. But none of the gifts, as they were even practiced then, ever called for anyone to use them that way. God in Christ calls our minds to be renewed in Him. Be renewed. Which assumes that the mind is in use for the Christian. It's the call to use your mind. But the mind and the heart must be used together. The whole person. If you look at what Paul says earlier, as we kind of just glazed over Pentecost in that day, Paul wrote to believers. And I believe it tempers our understanding of the gifts at large and particularly the gift of languages. In Ephesians chapter four, verse 23, he wrote to believers to be renewed in the spirit of their minds, be renewed in the spirit of their minds. He did not tell them to vacate their minds. So when you see this gift in practice, you see that there is an explanation, there's an orderliness, there's a historical precedent for when it was practiced. And you also see that there was content that was interpreted. This wasn't simply language translation. It was that the spirit had divinely given people who had no record of speaking the language, no affiliation to the language that was spoken, no learning Formal training in the language that was spoken to be able to utilize the language that was spoken to declare the mighty deeds of God perfectly. And then those needed to be translated. An in interpretation by the one who possessed that gift perfectly. Let's pray.